there are things in my notes that I have, like, I have no more really to talk about, but just to mention them. Like what? You know, why is the Fire Nation so dumb on some things? Like, straight up, Zuko has to be like, rocks don't slide uphill. Like, he has to let them know that. And, like, an episode ago, we had to say, hey, lemurs don't earthbend. It might be the girl who said earthbending power. They just straight fools. They dummies. And that just got me this week. Two weeks in a row. Yeah. This really got me. Well, you know, they've they've been out at war for a long time. The world they're living in is a different world from all of us. I don't know. I don't know. I, I just... <laughs> not the brightest, and it just... Oh, they tried so hard. Water. Earth. Fire. Air. Long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. Then, everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. A hundred years passed and my brother and I discovered the new Avatar, an airbender named Aang. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe Aang can save the world. Hello and welcome to The Pie Show. With your hosts, I'm Colton. And I'm Kelly. And this week we are talking about Book 1, Chapter 7, Winter Solstice, Part 1, The Spirit World. That is a mouthful, that, Colton. It just kept going. <laughs> I kept ends. expecting it to be over, and it just kept going. <laughs> In this episode, Aang takes on the task of defending a town from an interdimensional monster, but his untested skills and uncertainty could prove the town's undoing. That's a lot of negation. Untested skills, uncertainty, undoing. Un, 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 un. Yeah, I hadn't noticed that. Huh. The interdimensional monster is a really interesting way to put it right off the bat. Yeah. I feel like we should take a second and explain we're only talking this week about part one of this two-part episode. Only part one. And part of our reasoning for this is that when these originally aired, they were aired a week apart, and they had, each one had a full arc within itself of um, start, rise, and action, height of action, denouement, close. And while it had kind of a little cliffhanger at the end, it wasn't enough that it really carried the first arc over into the second one. They're kind of two unique arcs, but they have that overarching area of introducing the spirit world. Maybe this is a thing for us to talk about more next week, but you know, I was I was really pushing for us to do some level of combination of talking about these two episodes. You know, either we talk about both of them across two weeks or we talk about both of them in a really long episode this week. And I was arguing for all of that before I sat down to rewatch part one. And after watching part one, I was left with the feeling of this story is like, like this chapter of this story is kind of closed and done. And it's a really interesting point that the writers decided to make it 
a two-parter when it could just be two at like any other two episodes yeah yeah and i think that's really interesting that you mentioned that because they're they it's they wanted to link it in some way but not necessarily continue the same story um and that'll be interesting i think in more discussion on part two to kind of find those little reasons why this is a continuation, not just because of the time period, you know, the overarching, um, the winter solstice, uh, and maybe not just because it's the spirit world, the spirit world, or which is more important for linking the two episodes, the spirit world or the winter solstice. Ooh, that's a good question. We, yeah. we're going to argue about that next week. That's Next week, that is, that is like, I think that's first argument. <laughs> <laughs> like, batter up situation. I have no thoughts on it yet, because I, I like to, when I do this, I, I like to watch the one, just the one that we're seeing uh, beforehand. Yeah, I, th- I thought I was going to go and watch both of them, so that I could have it all in my mind. But I got to the mm-hmm. end of this week's episode, and I just was like, no, I'm, I'm going to stop, because this is... We have, I feel like we have enough to talk about, and there is a full story. There's a full story. They pack a lot in. And I know when we get to other um, multi-part episodes, two-parters and stuff, there will be ones where we decide, all right, we're going to sit down and we're just going to do this this whole one together. Um, or, you know, one is one is not complete without the other but this one works this one works so we're not doing that yet (laughs) we'll uh we'll burn that bridge once we cross it all right well let's get to it yeah so colton when i was watching this i made a note of something that ang said and i don't know how i feel about it and I don't know what I feel about it so I'm just going to tell you that something struck me and I need you to explain my feelings to me I'm asking that of you in this okay you ready all right let's see if I can pull out your thoughts from you yeah so when Aang is surveying the burnt forest and he's kind of falls to his knees and he says How could I let this happen? Something hit me there, and I can't quite put my finger on what I want to say about that, but it just felt important. And I know it is important, but what am I looking for here? What am I seeing? What am I feeling? Well, I think a a part of you is probably feeling a level of empathy with Aang's devastation, his his sense of helplessness and, and defeat. He's, he's the avatar. He says, you know, he argues with Katara and says just a couple of minutes later that it is his job to prevent things like this from happening. And I think given the conversation that we've been having over a couple of weeks here between duty and destiny, you might be feeling that he's derelict in his duty. I think that might be it. I think it very much felt from that. And I think another thing that I saw in it was it didn't feel like something Aang would say. It felt like something the Avatar would say. 
I don't know if that so much makes a difference to you. I, 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 but to me, it did. It felt like something that the collective past lives were looking through Aang's eyes and said, I let this happen. It wasn't just the the fun-loving little boy that we know. Yeah. Ooh, I got chills. I think that I think that I think you may have helped lead me there. Like that it is a duty, but it was the duty of every single person before him as well, and they collectively have failed. Do you think it is the past lives of the avatar feeling that they have failed to perform their duty to the world or do you think it's the past lives of the avatar feeling they've perf- failed to perform their duty to ang i think it's a bit of both especially we learn that this area is a very strong spiritual zone so if that is a place that they can somehow subconsciously connect with ang in a way that he doesn't even understand yet and be able to communicate that with him that way. Ooh, I like how you put it that that it's not just the world that it's also to Aang with that failure. That you know, I can see like when he says that, I can see someone like Roku saying that. I can see um Avatar Yang Chen saying that, Avatar Kurik, Kyoshi, I can see them saying that to themselves and to Aang. And especially because we learn later on in this episode that Aang hasn't made that connection to his past lives yet. And especially to Roku, whose past, whose life force is somehow supposed to guide him. Similarly, do you, do you think that Aang is feeling that he has failed his past lives? Do you think that feeling of failure goes both ways? I think there is some, somewhat of that, that guilt there, but I think he doesn't truly understand that yet until he tries to connect to his past life because he hasn't tried and failed yet. He hasn't, he, he hasn't tried at all yet. Um, they didn't, bef- before he left the air temple, he hadn't really gone through his spiritual training yet. Um, so I don't think he feels so much that, but I think he will. Hmm. This episode, he does feel that guilt, I think. Well, that's interesting. What? Go ahead. I think he's already starting to feel some of it. Ooh. If you look at his actions as the Avatar, in the time that he's known he's the Avatar, he's spent a lot of that time running. Mm -hmm. Running from his responsibility. Trying desperately to cling to and hold on to what childhood he has remaining. And I think in this moment, it does hit home. And he does feel that... Maybe that was the wrong thing to do. Yeah, I think it's also really interesting to see this solemn moment in comparison to his solemn moment at the Air Temple. How so? And I, I find him, he's already seen the devastation that they can do to, you know, human beings that they see as a threat. And he doesn't understand that. But this was a forest. This was just land. That, like, it doesn't make sense to him why you would do this needless destruction in his eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So given given all of that, mm-hmm. where do you stand right now on the Avatar's duty to save the world versus his destiny? I think 
At this point, I'm leaning a bit more towards duty. I think an episode from now, I might change. An episode from now, a lot might change. <laughs> an episode from now, I might call destiny. But uh, I think, especially if we're kind of seeing Aang's past lives saying how they failed too, I see this as it's a growing movement. It's not something that happened just overnight. And we'll see going forward more things that happen, not just in Aang's lifetime that led to where they are now. Okay. I think, I think this episode, though, you've got me on the, on the side for duty. Well, I think it's interesting. I, I think it's probably less, less of a binary than I originally petitioned for. I think, I, I definitely think that Aang does not have a destiny to save the world. But I do think that he is destined for certain parts of his journey towards saving the world, toward fulfilling that duty. Okay. Okay. I'll want to know when you when we feel, when you feel we've hit some of those points. I'll you you got to point those out to me cuz I want to I want to see that. I think I know some of the things that he, that like at least like the people he meets, the the places he goes for some of those things. I think I know some of the ones. I think we're kind of on the same track there, but I'll be curious to see if we are. I will So point I will out to and me. I'll definitely be looking for them more than I have in the past. <laughs> I love when we can find things that are like, all right, I want to track it. I want to track it. I want to see it move from part A to part B, like to to grow from the seed to the flower situation here. I think that's part of what really draws me in about rewatching things that I've seen before. That's that's part of why I do it. That's part of why I love it, because you you get to see those early mentions and those early allusions towards things later on that become so important and so much more meaningful when you can appreciate the full arc. Yeah. I keep finding like little phrases or something like that, that I'm like, huh, that doesn't just apply to now that applies to basically the concept of this show or (laughs) applies to all the different things like the way that um the way that Sokka learns to learns to um fight and the way that Boomy talks about finding a different way to do things and something that jumped out at me was at some point they mentioned outnumbered versus outmatched and it's a small thing that's mentioned but i st- it's stuck in my head and I started to think of all the battles that we'll come up against going forward and the number of times we will see our team avatar outnumbered, but not necessarily outmatched. And other moments where maybe team avatar outnumbers an adversary, but they're outmatched. And I didn't realize how much that played into those things. And I didn't real and just hearing Iroh say that, I'm just like, Whoa, it opens up my eyes to seeing these things that are coming in a very different light and to see how many recurring items there are 
throughout this show. Almost as if the show doesn't have a single main theme, but rather a collection of sub-themes that all tie into each other and weave together. It is so strong in its, wor- in its world building, in its creation, that it... I like to think that there is that saying about there are only really five stories in the world that are being retold over and over again. Um, I like to think that Avatar created its own world that is telling its own new five stories over and over again. So spirits attacking a town is new, new territory. We've had Fire Nation before. And I'm not going to lie, the first time I watched this, I did not understand what they were going to do with the spirit with spirits attacking. I'm like, is this a ghost story? Are they trying to spook us? I didn't understand fully that there's a world to it. So what at the beginning was your expectation when a town says we're being attacked by a spirit before you even saw the spirit? What was your expectation? Before I saw the spirit, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think I had a strong expectation in any given direction. I think I was very much, let's see where they go with this. Because on the one hand, it's it's an American-made cartoon. So, are they talking about ghosts? Are they talking about witches? Like, are they, are we going to go into the there's no such thing as ghosts Yeah. territory? And did some, you know, some person outcast from the village who's been demonizing the town in a quest for revenge or whatever? A Scooby-Doo situation. Exactly, a Scooby-Doo situation. But on the other hand, absolutely everything about this show is stylized with Eastern philosophies and traditions in mind. Mm -hmm. So are we going to have, you know, Taoist ideas of spirituality involved here? And that's not to say that I was expecting what they did, but I also wasn't very surprised to see some more Taoist with a touch of Buddhist uh, usage of spirits in the show. Yeah, I think my experience like as a kid watching this is that I did not have much experience watching stuff with a more Eastern background. I didn't watch animes. I didn't watch, uh, I say animes, I'm sorry. I know it's just anime, but it's, it's a little inside thing that I do because um, I'm still so new at it. That's how I joke about it. Um, but I didn't watch that. I didn't even watch stuff like Dragon Ball Z that wasn't, in my world. So my first thought is, oh, they're going to Scooby-Doo this. It's some old guy living out back who's messing up the town and Aang's going to, you know, calm him down and, you know, we'll find out he's an earthbender of some kind making the ground shake. Like that was my expectation coming into it. And then they are able to introduce the spirit world. And when we actually saw the spirit for the first time, I went, this is terrifying. This is very real and very scary. And it is, it's actually destroying things. It's not like, you know, just going through things. It's, it's, and it's actually taking people. 
And it upped the ante for me as a kid and as an adult. Big scary monster with too many arms. Oh, the extra arms. You know how I feel about that. I, oh, the no. extra little kind of, they're still strong, but they're like smaller than the bigger the arms. They're like little arms. baby arms. Yeah. Ugh. Pincer arms. And the face with no eyes. Yeah, the no eyes. Ooh. It was, it was, it was very scary. Now, this was also our first introduction to the spirit world and the concept of the spirit world and the rules of the spirit world. We're being introduced to this parallel plane of existence and creatures in it and a set of rules such as no bending. And uh, what was your reaction? What were your thoughts? I have to say, my thoughts on this rewatch were very different from my thoughts the first time through. Okay, explain how. So the first time I watched this, this was my only notion of what the spirit world was in the universe of Avatar. So I just took it at face value. This is what it is. But, and spoilers for the, you know, things that come up later in the show. We come to find out that the spirit world is not just what we see in this episode. That it is not just a parallel plane that mirrors our own, but that it is its own place in a way that we don't really see this time around. I think when you're trying to introduce a whole like other plane of existence in a children's cartoon... That this is a good introduction to say that the worlds are a lot closer and um, and breaches between during the winter solstice is a good like testing the waters for how we're going to do this. Because I find that you need to set up the rules for the place before you can really explore it. And we saw that kind of at the beginning of just the world of Avatar talking about it's not magic, it's bending a lot before and in one place before we got to explore the world. This is testing, setting the rules, setting the boundaries, and then we're going to get to explore. I don't disagree, but I still, I, hmm, I guess I just wish the visuals were a little more what we see later. I think because the spirit world is both a concept and a setting. I think that's where I understand your your disagreement, like not disagreeing in, is that it's both a concept and a setting. We need to set up the concept of the spirit world, and then at another point, we will go to the actual spirit world, not just entering a spirit state in the, the world. Does that make sense? I think it's also part of my hesitance to completely get on board with with your argument is that we are at, because we're at the winter solstice right now, the human world and the spirit world are much closer. So like you said, this is a good opportunity to set up the rules, but I, I don't know if I really like the lack of distinction between the visuals. Outside of the blue-tinted force ghostiness of the spirit world. Like, come on, they look like force ghosts. They do. And it plays like an episode of a sci-fi show 
where the characters are just out of phase, and so they can see everybody and interact with everybody, but they can't actually make an effect on the real world. Well, it's it's the concept of astral projection that they're putting into the sp- that they're putting as the spirit world. It's a concept that. Aang's spirit can project itself outside of his body. Does his spirit leave his body in this episode? Yes. I must have been taking a note when that was shown on screen. Yeah, his his the the blue the blue tint that's his spirit, and um, when he walks up to Katara, she can't see him, and Appa can't see him. They do show later on that his body is sitting in the lotus position on top of the bear statue. Ah, uh, okay. And he sees his body, and so. They show that, and that's that's how the Avatar can enter the spirit world. That's how they show people as entering the spirit world over the, the whole arc of the Avatar series of, you know, shows and books and everything, is that they leave the body behind and project their spirit into the spirit world. The spirit world is so much more Feywild in every other instance, and I wanted that here. It's like, it is a one-to-one correlation. We see that later, but it's that Feywild exaggerated one-to-one correlation. It's that fantastic correlation. Mm-hmm. And what we see here is like it—it's just another dimension. It's not—it's not like hyper reality. I think it's a little hyper reality. The fact that he can travel a lot faster to places, um, and that there are animals that can transform into dangerous beings and ch- change shape. Shape-shifting is not something that we've seen outside of the spirit world, um, and that we we don't see that outside of the spirit world. So that's another rule that is spirit world-specific. Well, can anyone shape-shift in the spirit world, or can only spirit... Is that a spirit-limited thing? We only see a spirit do it. It's not a rule of the spirit world, it's a thing that spirits can do. But it's a rule specific to spirits. So I think you and I are split on the... Con- I'm talking about the concept of the spirit world, and you're talking about the physical setting of the spirit world i guess i don't see as much of a difference between those two as you do so let me understand you do not believe this is our first introduction to the spirit world because we don't physically go into the spirit world as you believe it to be this is an introduction to the spirit world this is not a full proper introduction to the spirit world i believe a full proper introduction to the spirit world would overwhelm the audience this early in the show I don't think you give the audience enough credit. And I think it's if, if we have the Venn diagram of reality, you know, and on one side you have the human world and on the other side you have the spirit world. And right now we're in that middle pie cutout of, you know, there's, there's the winter solstice. So there's a level of convergence between the two and the lines between the two are blurred. And there are influences from both interacting in the world as, as we know it and perceive it. Mm-hmm. That is that is what we're seeing in this episode. And and the town is more on the human side of that duality, and where Aang goes is more on the spirit side of that duality, but we're still in, like, we're not fully in the spirit world because we have not fully left the human world. Okay. Because we still have that tether because Aang can still witness what is going on in the human world. Yes, we still have the tether. I think the tether is important. As opposed to later episodes where we see the spirit world where that link to the human world is not so apparent obvious in your face direct i'm curious at what point we get to what you believe is the full proper introduction of the spirit world 
Because I think it's a lot longer off than you think it is. Yeah, I think our first, like, true proper interaction to the spirit world is in Siege of the North. Yes. Okay. I think we're only spirit world adjacent in our visits until then. I think we need this introduction before we can ever do something like Siege of the North. I think you have a lack of faith in your audience. (laughs) I do. I do, because for Nickelodeon, this was one of their first, like, I mean, this was an American, it was an American show, but it had the Eastern influences and stuff. And again, if you think of the audience at the time this came out, it was children and it was children. This was for an Americanized audience who didn't have that concept yet. I think it would have been far too overwhelming at episode seven to throw in where are they now? Because the thing is, we don't have a concept enough of the Avatar world to know the difference. So here, we need to know the difference with a color. We need to know the difference like, between the planes before we can fully take Aang and throw him into the spirit world headfirst. I disagree. I just, I, I just disagree. I don't think we're going to agree on this. Probably not. No. You want to move on? Yeah, yeah. Our audience can tell us, if, you know, what they think. Was this a good enough introduction for the to the spirit world for you, or does it not? Does it not cut it? Does it not represent what the spirit world is? Cute animal alert! All right. So I feel that honestly, because last episode had just Momo and Appa. They just tried to pepper a whole bunch of animals in this episode and say, no, look, there are so many more things. So I am going to list them uh, in order of appearance. I'm pretty sure not necessarily, but we'll see. Um, Don't hold me to it. Appa, Momo, we see a messenger hawk from the Fire Nation at first. We, We discuss those more later on, but this is our first kind of appearance of the Red Hawk. Uh, A meadow vole, ostrich horses, Komodo rhinos, and that is all I am considering for cute animal alerts. I am not considering these spirit animals. Why not? I'm not. Spirits are animals too. So I think that those deserve their own little realm because I don't think it's comparable to the animals that we see in the physical world yet. I don't think you're showing proper respect to the spirit world. Maybe not. I, I think they I think they deserve their own category because um, because Hei-Bai, is that, Hei-Bai, is that yeah. how you, you say the name correctly? Hei-Bai. Because Hei-Bai has two different um, two different looks. There's the, the panda version and then there's the scary pincer arms version. Um, with no eyes, and um, then there's Fang, the uh, Avatar Roku's dragon. Um, and I think those are a bit more fantastical and kind of deserve their own credit um, as to... Uh, but we see Fang know. as not a spirit. Uh, do we? Oh, we yeah. see him in the flashback. See him in the flashback. Okay, I'll, I'll throw Fang in there, but uh, I think, I think Hei-Bai is very much their own character um, and 
I love the creative concept, but they're a very, they're the spirit of the forest. And I'd rather be able to kind of, not all spirits are animals, we'll learn at some point, but. But I think the spirits um, that are animals are, they, they, they can be cute. I'm not saying that I think Haybai is cute, but you know, they, they can be cute. <laughs> I think softened Haybai is cute. Um, and if, if I were to consider Haybai in this, I would put Haybai up there with the Meadow Vole. Um, but Meadow Vole is taking it for me this week because I thought it was so cute. Actually, you know what? Never mind. I don't think the Meadow Vole is cute because I remembered it again in my brain and I have had a pest situation in my household. So I'm going to go with Haybai just straight up. <laughs> so you, you went win. from spirits don't count as animals to I'm giving it to Haybai. <laughs> What a 180. It's been a long week. What a 180. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know if it'll qualify every time. I'm giving it to the Meadow Vole. Those things were so cute. Though I am glad you brought up the ostrich horses because we do see those a lot more. Those, I think the armor on them was kind of yeah. cool too. Uh, like the way the beaks are extended. Uh, I like the, the darkness of the ostrich horses and the Komodo rhinos. I say, <laughs> I say it so strongly. So I can I'm just waiting right. for you to say Komodo uh, Ryans again. I know I'm going to say Komodo Ryans. I'm trying so hard not to. But the Komodo rhinos, I, and we'll see it even with the messenger hawks later, the kind of armor that they get and how these animals are brought into the military side. It's really cool when we get to see it. Um, yeah, yeah, it can be an extension of the person riding them. I mean, we see that with Appa now, but it's cool to see it on other animals that are maybe smaller. It's also really nice that they consider the animals to put in, to give them armor and protection. And it looks really freaking cool. It looks really cool. It looks really scary sometimes, but it looks really cool. Do you want to talk about Iroh so we can get sidetracked into the dragon? Yeah, let's talk about Iroh. I love seeing Uncle Iroh use firebending in a way that is not destructive, especially after we see so much destruction by firebending. To see him just using it to create a hot tub is just so refreshing. Um, I know we see him like warm tea, but like um, previously, but. It makes you think. I feel like he's the only one I've seen use firebending in a non-like destructive or military way so far. I took that note, and I thought of you when I saw that. Like when he blows the smoke out of his nostrils to heat the <laughs> to heat the water and and make the tub. Because I was gonna write down like, oh hey, do you think this is a natural spring, or do you think he heated it? And then like two seconds into me starting to write that, it was like he just he heated it, and it was like, oh okay, well. <laughs> glad glad that Kelly's infecting my brain. <laughs> yeah, I, I really liked it. And the dragon of the West. If I was a firebender, I would be blowing smoke out of my nose all the time, just being like <sighs> I know you would. I know you would. I mean I'm full of hot air anyway. <laughs> I I'm pretty sure we both took this note. Dragon of the West. 
Have we heard him called that before? I feel like Zhao called him that, but maybe not, because Zhao's kind of like, screw you, Iroh. Yeah. Yeah. I also really loved that we got to set up Ba Sing Se and even more of Uncle Iroh's background. Yes. And to talk about the siege and to set up that storyline so early is really cool to me. And so we always kind of have this city name in our head of Bossing Say and Bossing Say and Bossing Say. So by the time we eventually will get to Bossing Say, we've built up this image in our head of it. It's going to be a while before we get there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a long, long way. To Bossing Say. I do really love, like you mentioned, the, the Earthbenders bringing that up and trying to shame Iroh about it and throw it in his face that he failed years ago in his attack on that city and his response is just yeah I did can you blame me it was it had been two years I was tired my army was tired we wanted to go home I'm still tired like the he failed in conquering Ba Sing Se but he has not let that failure conquer him so I'm also wondering how much of that is the fact that he's captured by them too. And he makes himself look a lot smaller on uh, the back of their ostrich horse. And I feel like he really gets the earthbenders to underestimate him the whole time. So I'm wondering if part of it is also like, yep, no, I failed. Mm-hmm. That's me, the failure, as he's like secretly plotting a plan as he throws his flip-flop <laughs> behind him when he falls you know he plays that he plays up the frail old man and my arthritis is you know could you make these tighter please i think that's a part of it but i mm-hmm. do genuinely think from what we've seen of viro that he is at peace with his yeah. life and with who he is he's accepted his choices and uh yeah, made peace with it. I like how you put that. And I think if any other firebender that we have seen so far were in his shoes in this situation, that would be a very, very different interaction. I mean, can you imagine Zuko having a bunch of earthbenders that just captured him that he doesn't know, tell him how much of a failure he is and throw his failures in his face? I don't think they would have gotten that far. I think... I think Uncle was along for the ride at that point. <laughs> I, I, part of me is also like, I was like, how far did he think he was going to go? Like, you know, was he, was he along for the ride at that point of like, eh, I'll figure this out. It's, it's, uh, okay, I said it, and then I saw a spark in myself and a little bit of a spark in you on it because I think it's a very important concept for Iroh and um, people who think like him of, patience and waiting for the right moment and Iroh finds those little moments in this uh in this encounter with the earthbenders you know the moment to fall off the ostrich horse and leave the flip-flop behind the moment to basically just yeet himself off a cliff uh to have the confidence to wait until he knows he has the upper hand or the opportunity to seize the upper hand exactly he waits for the opportunity and oh Boy, does he get it. Yeah. When he does that that bending move where he shoots fire out of his feet. Yeah, yeah. 
I love that this also expands that fire is not just like, like you can do it from your nostrils, you can do it from your hand, you can do it from your feet. Like it's not just a punch. I wanted to ask you, because you're the one that mentioned it at the beginning of the show when Aang escapes the firebenders by airbending with his whole body. Do you think this whole body bending technique that we see Iroh doing is something that he has mastered over the course of his life? Or do you think that, you know, a couple of weeks ago he saw Aang do this and realized like, oh, wow, that's good technique there. Like, I'm going to work that into some of my own stuff. And when he found himself in a similar situation to where Aang was, he just, you know, he's always a student and he learned from someone who knew something he didn't and it was successful in a similar situation. I think, honestly, he's mastered this over his whole life. I don't think this is new. I think this is something that uh, Iroh talks about later in the series is that he learns from other, he has spent his time learning other bending styles to incorporate into his personal style of bending. Um, and we'll, we'll learn later about how water bending has influenced him a lot. And uh, I think especially Iroh has the connections to understand different ways of bending. And I think this is something that he has trained on for a long time. And it's how people underestimate him and it's how he became the dragon of the West um, and how he became to be a firebender of such renown that he has uh, a name like the fire, like the dragon of the West. That's interesting. Cause I, I agree with you. I think he mastered it over a long period of time. I, I don't think he just picked it up from Aang. I think if anything, he and Aang probably learned it from the same source because Iroh is pretty old. We might not know exactly how old he is, but I think it's reasonable that people that Aang knew before he was frozen are people that Iroh knew when Iroh was young or met later in life. You know, who knows? But like, there's probably been a bit of crossover and some of that at this point, old school knowledge may have gotten in there. Um, I don't think it's why he has the nickname. I, I mean, I know there are other reasons why he has the nickname, but for someone who has a nickname like the Dragon of the West, like to be of such renown, I think he has a skill level that is unmatched by many people to the point where, you know, Zuko, these are the moves that Zuko wants to learn outside of the basics. This is like the lesson that he is waiting for. He has seen this and he is not there yet. And that's what upsets him. He's like, Uncle, you can heat tea with just your nostrils, okay? Like, teach me that instead of just punch and fire comes out. And I think part of the the irony of Zuko's journey is that Iroh is teaching him these advanced lessons. Zuko just doesn't see it. Yes, yes. There is, there is a moment... Uh, in the big battle that uh, Zuko and Iroh have with the Earthbenders, that um, I saw where, you know how Zuko is told to attack the root and to, uh, uh, by Iroh in his big battle uh, in the Agni Kai? Well, Iroh does the same thing to the Earthbenders. 
and he attacks the root on like the final one. He gets at the Earthbender's stance, and for Earthbenders, we learn like their strong, powerful stance is what's very important for their bending. So to take out the legs like that is is a lesson that um, Iroh uses, and Iroh was able to teach. And so it was really cool to see uh, how you know Zuko learned it, and Iroh executes the lessons that he teaches Zuko. He's not just someone who sits in the corner and yells things out, that these are things that he can physically do. And I think I think Zuko's starting to begin to see that. Yes. Because of probably my favorite line in the episode, just when he looks at Iroh and says, you taught me well, after Iroh compliments his form. Oh, it just, uh, it gets me. <laughs> and part of why I think that that interaction between Zuko and Iroh gets me so much is because Zuko is faced with a really big choice in this episode. He's, he's tracking uncle Iroh and he comes to like the edge of the woods, the edge of the forest. And Iroh's tracks go off in one direction or the, the ostrich horse tracks that, you know, were carrying Iroh go off in one direction. Mm -hmm. And in the other direction, he sees Katara and Appa flying away and he recognizes Appa as the avatars ride. And you know, that's, that's where his quarry lies, but that's not where Iroh is. And he has to choose between the two. And I want to know what you think of my interpretation of this choice. Okay. He has to choose between his duty and his destiny because he believes it's his destiny to capture the Avatar, but he recognizes a duty to Iroh. Ooh. Ooh. I like that. And I think it very much fits in theme with, I mean, I think this episode wins me over to the duty of the Avatar um, to be that bridge between the human world and the spirit world. And he has to make that choice to do that. Um, yeah, that's, ooh, I hadn't seen it that way. That's really cool. And especially something that I noticed this episode is this is another time where we have Aang and Zuko on parallel journeys again. And we are led to sympathize with, again, the, per- the antagonist so early on and we're building this sympathy for the for Zuko as the antagonist that starts to look a little less antagonizing sometimes. Yeah, I think it's really clever how they do that because at this point we've spent a fair bit of time with Iroh. We it's a lot easier for us as the audience to empathize with Iroh, I think, because he's a more empathetic character. He cares about his nephew, he cares about his family. We most audience members can understand that. He hasn't done anything destructive. He hasn't hurt anybody. Um, He's relatively nonviolent. Yeah. He's not out to abduct an 11-year-old boy. He's out to hang out in a hot tub and relax and have some tea. And who doesn't want that? And then he's put in danger and he's put in trouble. Mm-hmm. And Zuko abandons his quest to pursue Iroh. And I think that 
does so much work towards starting to redeem Zuko in the audience's eyes and, and get us empathizing with him. And we're led to we're led to say, no, these Earth Kingdom people, they're gonna hurt Uncle Iroh, who hasn't hurt anybody. And the Earth Kingdom does make a good point of saying, like, no, you were the general who attacked Bossing, say, led siege on it for hundreds of days. He's like, Yeah, yeah, I did that. But you're still like, aw. Uncle Iroh, it's such a sympathetic character that you want him to get away and you want Zuko to save him because Zuko cares about him. You see that human connection that Zuko has with his uncle and you feel for that as opposed to, you know, they're going to hurt this old man. Yeah, and I think just to really drive that point home, so far we have seen Zuko more or less ignore the majority of Iroh's teachings express anger and frustration toward Iroh. We we know he's been dishonored. We know he's, you know, out trying to redeem himself in the world. And he has been completely unsuccessful in that endeavor so far. And the way he's re- trying to redeem himself seems so dishonorable to us, the audience, which is to kidnap an 11-year-old boy. <laughs> it seems dishonorable. It seems evil. Yes. And the one time he makes a decision, the first time he makes a decision to step away from that and to do something else and and to to save what he loves, mm-hmm. he gets that recognition from Iroh. He gets that, you know, proud father figure moment. He gets a bit of his honor back. I love that. I love that, Colton. That's beautiful. I love this show. It's so good. <laughs> It's a long, long way to Bossing Say, but the girls in the city, they look so pretty. We briefly mentioned the dragon that Aang runs into, uh, which is Fang, which is, as Aang says, you're Roku's animal guide, like Appa is to me. And I said, Oh my god, this is an actual thing. Animal guides. Does each avatar have an animal guide? Meanwhile, I'm here thinking it's a Disney princess type of thing where everybody has a cute animal sidekick. And no, there's an... Avatars each have an animal guide? What? Is this mentioned again? Do you know? I don't think it's harped on in the future, but it's definitely alluded to. And it's definitely, like, it's... Kind of a low-grade background thing. I don't know. For me, as someone who pays, who's been paying attention a lot to the animals, it just very much stuck out to me of like, huh, there's one animal that they have a, like, they have an animal guide. And to see Appa as such uh, in comparison to Fang the Dragon and later, we'll, you know, with Korra, she's got Naga. Like, I don't know. That, that blew my mind for me. Does your girl Kiyoshi have an animal guide? That's uh, so I'm 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 in the midst of uh, Rise of Kiyoshi and everything, and I'm curious to see. And I kind of want to do a deep dive and see if there are more. Like, what was you know was Yang Chen's, who was the last Airbender uh, avatar before Aang? What was hers? Was it also a, a Sky Bison, or could it have been you know a lemur? Or does it have to be the animal through which bending originated in a way, like the original airbender? 
And, you know, I don't know. I don't know. What would be your animal guide? I don't know. I kind of have to think on that. Um, polar bear dog, pretty close. But I feel like mine has to be kind of feline. Mm. I don't know why. Mine's got to be a little more feline. So I got to dive more into um, what those kind of animals are. I think I'd have like a polar bear dog or a fire ferret. A fire ferret? I could see you. I could see you fire ferret. Um, They're mischievous. I like, I like that. Yeah. I could also see what's that? What, is it a bear moose? What's that? No. In the, uh, <laughs> That's <laughs> not me. me. No, me. Oh, for you? Yeah. Me. Definitely for, for you. <laughs> or just a bear. Just, just, just a bear and not a platypus bear? Just a bear. A, just a bear. Just a bear. <laughs> that animal guide thing blew me, blew me away, though. I was like, what? Yeah. I. That isn't what got me with the dragon. Uh, it was for me. It was more the fact that in life the dragon was red, and then in spirit world the dragon is blue. And it was like, oh yeah, we talked about like colors, and that's interesting that they made that particular choice in red versus blue again. Uh, but I didn't I really think also the fact the spirit world is blue. Yeah. So, but I do like I uh, if you're applying the color theory. I like that the spirit world is blue because it shows that if you're going there as kind of the bridge as Aang is, that it is benevolent, that, you know, you might see the image of a dragon coming at you as um, malicious. Terrifying. Terrifying as, you know, this is a bad thing coming at me. But the fact that the dragon is there as a friend, is there as a guide, the fact that it's blue, you know, softens that. Chills it out. It's yeah, it's it's that it's that in the back of the mind, like, you know, um, the blue is good. So you shouldn't be as afraid of this dragon if you look for those colors. I think the first time we see something blue and it's bad, it's going to like really upset us. (laughs) Maybe, probably. Probably. But uh, I can already think of a few things and I'm excited to discuss it. (laughs) So staying with this dragon for a bit. Yeah. Iroh could see it. Yes. What's up with that? Why? Okay, I've got, like, a few theories. I have a theory. Go ahead. No, 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 no. You take this one first. I took the last one. You take this one. Okay, so I have a few theories. One is that the solstice is bringing things closer, and um, Iroh is someone who is more in touch with his spiritual side. Um, And also, as the only firebender there, um, I, I think... I think it could be something, the fact that Ira was a firebender that he could see as well. But um, I do have some, like, outstanding background information that um, there is, like, talk that Ira has been to the spirit world before, that he's visited before. And so, therefore, he is more in touch to be able to see such things. Um, So that's... So, I mean, my theories are the fact that because it's a dragon... Iroh's a firebender. Iroh's life experiences, he can see it. Or because Solstice, um, and he's more in touch. Or because he's been to the spirit world before. Those are my kind of big three. Mine lines up with one of yours. And basically that, like, Iroh and his, not like most of the other firebenders that we've seen, you know, spiritual practices. Like, he's just more at peace. He's pursued 
his own spirituality in a way that a lot of other firebenders have not. Um, probably that a lot of other benders have not. Yeah. Or just people in the world in general. Um, benders or otherwise. Like he's just he is in tune with his own spirituality and his spirit is like he is aligned with his spirit. His chi is is clear. <laughs> yeah, and he can see through that thinner than normal wall right now. That that veil that stands between the two worlds. Yeah. I think there's a lot of potential factors in there. Um, yeah. Yeah. I thought that was nuts too though, because that like right off the bat started having me speculating and I'm like, well, given Iroh's background with like the spirit world and Iroh's background with firebending, I I don't know which one kinda outweighs it in a way. Um probably the spirit world one, because you know this episode is called the spirit world. It made me speculate. I think it's is like personal enlightenment. Yeah. Yeah. Because he is a more enlightened character than probably any of the characters we've met thus far. And he also, we'll, we'll see, he takes the spirit world very seriously. Yes. And not everyone does. Not everyone does. And, I mean, I think we see that in the village that, you know, uh, Aang and even, you know, most of the villagers take it very seriously that this is happening. Sokka is like, I can throw a boomerang at it, right? And it'll work. And it doesn't. Just bounces off its butt. Bounces off, just just total fail. But we'll see the varying degrees to which people respect the spirit world. When Heibai is revealed to be a panda and does that shapeshift, did, did you see that coming? I think I saw that coming about two to five seconds before Aang figured it out. I, uh-huh. and that might just be my own hubris. It's very easy to say after reveal, oh, I knew it all along. Even when before I had the reveal, you never would have guessed it. Maybe that's what's happening here. I don't know. I'll accept it. Uh, you know what? I'm going to say I didn't see it coming. I didn't see it coming because even if I did see it coming, it was so close to the reveal. I don't think it counts. Honestly, I didn't see it coming because i thought i thought he'd give the speech and it would stay in that same shape and just soften its expression in a way and walk off i didn't see it fully changing into a panda bear that that threw me but then looking back and re-watching it i'm like ah yes i can see the colors i can see kind of the face and you know i didn't initially catch the uh bear statue that Aang runs into very early on. I didn't catch the shape of it. And even when Aang wakes up in his spirit form and leaves, they make sure not to show that it's a bear statue that he's sitting on top of. It's just, it looks like, it looks like a piece of rock. It looks like a tree. They don't show the outline of a bear. They show a bear and then it goes black. And then they show Aang waking up running back and then going, hey, this is not, why can't she see me? And then it's not until he fully returns to his body that they show it is a, that they show it is a bear. I really like the visual symbolism that accompanies that, that transformation. The, the whole idea of the destruction of the forest angers the spirit to the point where it turns into 
Like it physically, visually turns into something it's not. That that responding to pain with anger is a transformative experience and not in a positive way. Yeah. And that's something I think Ang can identify with because when he got angry at the air temple um, and went into the avatar state, he had that same kind of speech given to him of, yes, your home has been taken away, but you have, you have a home here. You have, we are your family. Now he gets that speech from Katara and he takes what he's learned from Katara in that moment and talking someone down off the ledge. And he takes what he learned from Katara when she hands him the acorn and says, no, this, this can grow back. There, there is, see, there is the seeds of rebirth here. And he passes that along. And so I truly see Aang here as the bridge between the human world and the spirit world because he is taking the lessons Katara has learned as a human and seeing the cycle of life and teaching it to this spirit who is angry and hurt and upset that its home is destroyed. And once again, Katara is not the one to save the world. But she's the one to save the one to save the world. She's the catalyst. She's the catalyst. That is Katara the catalyst. That's what I see. Every week. (laughs) Every week, Katara is the catalyst. I'm excited for next week to go and see the Fire Nation with Dun Dun Dun. I have to go talk to Roku. In the Fire Nation. In the Fire Nation. Hooey. We will have seen... Technically, like, all the parts of the world that we'll see, like, a water tribe, an earth, air, and we'll finally see, like, we'll be in Fire Nation territory. Not just Fire Nation-occupied lands. Yes, yeah, that doesn't, the colonies don't count. (laughs) You know what? I bet it looks pretty similar. It could. Lots of red tones. Yeah, lots of red. They love their red. I'm ready for some conflict with that, though. That'll be cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I also really love the the gem and the the using that to see the calendar. Oh, I'm so excited. It's so Indiana Jones. It is. It is. It has that quest. I love it. Thank you for listening to the Pie Show. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can find our show notes at thepieshow.fm slash seven. If you'd like to reach us, you can send us a tweet at the Pie Show or email us at the Pie Show Podcast at gmail.com. Tell us your thoughts. Tell us your feelings. Tell us if you thought we should have done this as one episode. We should not have. That would have been such a long. We're at an hour and a half now. And we'll email back why. <laughs> I can't believe we almost did this as one episode. How young, young and innocent we were. <laughs> A little side note that you can probably cut later that I learned is um, this is not the last time that uh, Zuko will track his uncle by his dirty, smelly flip flop. (laughs) This is not the last time where he sees that where the flip flop and he's like, nope, this is uncle.